Let's talk science. From the University of Oningen, this is MindWise Podcast, hosted and brought to you by psychology students. In this episode, we are talking to Bertus Hieronymus. He studies lifespan changes in personality and subjective well-being and their link with affective dynamics and the environment in which one lives and grows. He's currently working at the psychology department at the Ruch and teaches the personality and individual differences and lifespan development courses. Bertus, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Hi. Um, our first question is more of a general nature. If you were to reflect upon your academic career, which moments have defined this journey and how did it unfold up to this point? <laughs> um, I think one important moment was when I was doing my... Uh, at the end of the master's, you can do an internship. And I was doing an internship with Marike Peineborg, who is still working for clinical psychology. And at that point in time, I was not really into research so much, so I wanted to do clinical work. And she really stimulated me to think about uh, pursuing a PhD because she thought it would really fit me. Uh, whereas I thought uh, researchers were very boring and great people. So uh, that was totally not uh, what I intended to do with my life. And then actually she knew me much better than I knew myself. So in the end, she was correct. And I started doing a PhD and that made me very happy. And I met a lot of interesting people and you... you can fulfill your curiosity and then well now I'm actually here and teaching stuff at the university so that that was one of the life-changing periods because of course it's not one specific moment in time but over yeah. the weeks I worked with her she convinced me to at least uh, try it. So. And you mentioned your PhD thesis could you tell me more about what it was about and what are the main insights that you got from it? My PhD thesis was focused on a personality domain, neuroticism, uh, because neuroticism is associated with the development of all the common mental disorders. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, did, I pursued my PhD in a psychiatry department in the university hospital. Uh, and, and one of the main questions was, well, from twin studies we learned that a large part of individual differences in neuroticism is due to experiences. It also means that You can change it uh, over the lifespan. So what kind of factors make people more and less neurotic? Because that would mean that we can also influence their vulnerability for the development of all kinds of problems. Uh, and I focused mainly on uh, life experiences, salient stuff that happens to people. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I learned is that indeed life experiences can change neuroticism very much. So uh, personalities, you can transform your personality in many ways both for the good and for the bad. And uh, this knowledge we can use, for example, to treat people on their personality, which is a relatively novel insight, because uh, at the start of this century, people would say personality is well, fixed like plaster, at least the majority of the people would say that. Mm -hmm. uh, and nowadays we know it's, well, you can change it very rapidly if significant stuff happens in your context, mm -hmm. like if you lose people you love, if you get a new job, uh, which you like very much, uh, There are a lot of experiences which influence who you are and how you think about yourself and how you behave and how you feel. And this knowledge is really well, important in a clinical sense, but also 
for how we navigate our own lives. And how can these findings be applied in the clinical sphere in terms of shaping the experiences that one has so that um, traits like neuroticism become less salient in one's self-concept or self-percept? Well, what you see is that over the past five to ten years, uh, a lot of treatments on personality emerged. So mm -hmm. uh, people really uh, consciously trying to change per individuals' personalities. And it seems to work. Um, and it seems to stick with them. So it's not that it only changed for a couple of weeks or months, but uh, it seems to induce more persistent changes. Mm -hmm. And this just well, increases your resilience in ways and decreases your uh, vulnerability. And, and from a prevention perspective, I find that very interesting. Um, of course, if you really have big clinical problems, then these symptoms and the suffering that comes with it um, well, will be attended to first. But the underlying vulnerability is typically not uh, really taken care of. And, uh, well, we, we could, and perhaps we should. You're also part of the uh, research groups behind Truchixenel and Jedekind Sanders. How have these studies that are still going on provided additional insights into, for example, neuroticism and how it develops and how it fluctuates? What Haunatzer that set out to do was uh, not only focus on negative symptoms or things which are going wrong, but also focus on a lot of positive things. Because if you're thinking about health, it comprises both. And that's not my opinion, that's also what the World Health Organization says, or uh, well, many other people in the world. Um, and I think it's the interaction between the positive and the negative uh, which makes us feel uh, like we do in daily life. So... Uh, One of the things which I find important is that in, in my PhD studies, for example, I was studying how specific life experiences uh, influence well, the development of all kinds of psychiatric symptoms. So, for example, you lose your job, you're very sad about that, and you might become depressed. Um, however, there might also be people who lose their job, but who have a really great partner or have very fulfilling hobbies mm -hmm. and, uh, and use that as a buffer and not develop symptoms. So there we see that people in objectively similar situations, they both lost their job, but some persons have additional strengths or resources available. They do not develop uh, well, the same psychiatric outcomes. And then if you are ignoring all these positive factors and individual strengths and, and resources we have, then you will never truly understand uh, where the symptoms come from. So how not sort of that set out to cover both domains and to see mm -hmm. how they interact? Because in essence, I think that's what's interesting and important. So uh, we looked at daily dynamics in a lot of people and well, st start studying how these uh, interactions between positive and negative things in daily life and the daily dynamics, how these influence uh, health outcomes. And we are, of course, still doing that. And uh, how Nuts Had a Dutch was, was focused on adults, so people in the general population can participate if they're above 18. However, many interesting Phenomena uh, already start emerging when we are younger. So uh, often in adolescence, you can already see sp specific traits or uh, habits growing, which eventually uh, will will grow into something which is not desirable. Mm. So Idikint is anders is actually a, a version of how not so that but now focused on children uh, because we want to understand how how things develop uh, in daily life, and uh, well, we will ask children and their parents how they're doing both in positive terms, so uh, in terms of well-being, in terms of emotions, in terms of how, how they work with emotions in daily life, and also um, 
well, in terms of symptoms of anxiety, of stress, and many other, like uh, nightmares, or all kinds of things. And we think that's a very fruitful approach to really better understand uh, well, individuals in daily life, on the individual level as well, because most studies just cover a lot of topics with questionnaires at one point in time, but mm. uh, the diary studies which we implemented in Hounatsada Dutch and which will also be part of uh, Idekintis Anders are very important to learn how, how people function in daily life. Mm-hmm. And you're taking this long- longitudinal approach that gives a more comprehensive picture and in this sense we were wondering whether you already have some insights between specific per- personality traits and uh, specific uh, mental health issues or challenges um, that reoccur in your research. Well, an example that we have is that uh, people with specific personality traits are protected against the suffering uh, in the context of having symptoms. So, for example, one uh, recent study in Hounatsara that's focused on strange experiences, which are a bit in the psychotic, schizophrenic area. A a lot of us hear stuff which is not there or uh, experience things which are not there. That's actually, I would say, fairly normal and Mm. common. However... Uh, you can get a lot of distress from these experiences. And people who are, for example, um, more extroverted or uh, score a bit higher on openness, or they're less likely to experience the distress associated with these experiences. And then another question would be, like, why? And that's something we have to dive into more deeply. But uh, th- these are ways in which uh, well, you can use this knowledge. And also, depending on your personality, you expect different things from life and well we can help people point at uh, well, which things are more likely to make them happy or to buffer them against uh, all kind of problems mm-hmm. and this might be fairly important so in, in my own research one of my main interests is people who actually have psychological symptoms so who score relatively high on skills of anxiety and depression and stress and other phenomena uh, and then many of them report they're fairly happy so that's fine i'm glad for them but some of them are very unhappy and my main question is again i like uh, the example i used about being unemployed what's the difference between these people who, who find ways to be relatively happy despite their problems mm-hmm. and people who are very unhappy and if we find out what kind of differences these are and in how that's started that's we already found a lot of them for example having a nice partner well that's Everyone wants to have a nice partner, I guess, uh, with some exceptions. So that's that's not very helpful, perhaps. But uh, other things we found is that having a pet, for example, uh, is one of the predictors that uh, explains the difference between people who are relatively happy despite having well, chronic symptoms and uh, people who are relatively unhappy with their lives. And a pet is something uh, a general practitioner can prescribe, right? So... You can give people a lot of medication, perhaps that helps, and then, well, that's a whole debate on itself. <laughs> uh, but you can also give someone a pet, or at least advice to do so. But there are also other things, like uh, having self-relativating humor popped mm. up as a factor, and that explains the difference. So that's something you can learn. Uh, and also, things like empathy is something you can practice, and which you can learn, and being pro-social. And, uh, mm. uh, well, so, so, and of course, these are very easy examples, but uh, sometimes things pop up which we really have to think about what they mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this is a fruitful approach because 
the knowledge you gain from it is directly applicable in people's daily life. So, um, and given that so many people uh, suffer, I remind you that I, at the start of this interview, told you that about 20% of the population wants care every given yeah. year. Uh, I think it's highly significant that we learn to find really low-key advices which people can implement in their daily life, like mm -hmm. spending 20 minutes a day in green space. Or uh, It sounds so easy, uh, but not many people actually do it. And I guess that if you would really give this a place in your life, then you would feel better eventually. At least most would. And otherwise we have to search further until we find what for you works. Mm -hmm. Given that we talked about uh, personality for a little bit now, this is a somewhat ambiguous concept and there are various approaches to conceptualizing it. Um, we were interested in your personal definition of, of personality as a researcher in that field. <laughs> That's a big question indeed. Yeah. Uh, well, I will stick to the to the general uh, definitions. Like it, it captures most individual differences in what people feel and what they think and what they want and what they do in daily life. And it's more a style of how we navigate our lives more generally. And I agree that there are many theories and there are actually many conflicting theories, but uh, I don't see that as a big problem personally because I think we have to think about personality theories more as tools in a toolbox. Uh, And, and depending on what you want to do with it, certain tools work better. So if you want to get something into the wall, a hammer works better than uh, a saw. But you can do it with a saw. But uh, mm -hmm. well, I think personality is that complex that it's also... I, I don't think we will get one overarching theory that explains everything in the, in the next years. Uh, I, I think evolutionary theory uh, makes most sense at this point in time, given that we all evolved to explain these Uh, regularities within people but uh, well it, it's still in its infancy in many ways so at this point in time the dominant theories in personality like the five-factor model and uh, well, theorists who are working on that uh, they're more descriptive than explanatory in many ways so the real ultimate explanations are lacking um, and I I actually find that very interesting and it's also motivating to, well, to, to get a better grip on, on what we see around us. But um, yeah, there's at this point in time not one theory from my perspective which is really uh, mm. the best. But, but they're all very interesting. And uh, what makes personality so complex is that you can study behavior and you can study uh, feelings But a large part of who we are is also how we think about our place in the world and uh, well, things like meaning and values, which are, in a way, not really science. So if you look at specific traits, uh, you can cover them in a certain factors using statistics. And, well, this is a scientific approach. But once we touch upon values and uh, life stories and uh, these kinds of phenomena, I don't think there's really an uh, empirically good version of it. So uh, this is at the level of stories and narratives, uh, which are very important for how we think about ourselves and lead our lives. Um, but they're also very much relevant in this point in, in time and space and might differ a hundred years from now and differed in the past. And we're so much influenced by all kinds of 
met, met haar part of our uh, culture. So to make this very concrete, uh, what people do in life, you can assess that. But what people think they should do, that's very cultural. And uh, how do we get this knowledge? Well, we get this from stories. So we watch Game of Thrones and we read novels and then, uh, well, we learn how, how we think people should live their lives and then we try to live up to that. But uh, that, that could also be very different. And I also find that attractive in personality research and theory, but on the other hand, it makes it also very difficult to come up with an encompassing vision and theory because in the end, uh, it depends. Uh, for us, this is true. Uh, in the middle, middle age, medieval times, for example, people thought they could not change, so mm -hmm. th they were not really thinking about who they could become as an, uh, as an individual otherwise than what they have been. Uh, whereas we now think we can all transform and we can become almost everything. So, yeah, they, th there are a lot of things involved which are very difficult to get a grip on with just a questionnaire and a, yeah. a, and a bunch of statistics. That's actually something I wanted to point out because you mentioned before um, changing people's personalities and um, making use of this flexibility we have in our narratives in order to improve people's quality of life. And I was thinking about this in the in the context of the traditional way of thinking about, about personality, especially for us since we studied personality in a very um, standardized manner through uh, learning about all sorts of questionnaires and approaches to quantifying personality. And these ways of thinking about it indeed leave, um, ignore many things that, that are as relevant and maybe more useful to, to, to be used in, in improving people's lives, um, but they're just not measurable or, or accessible. Well, they are actually measurable in ways because there's a lot of research into these phenomena, but it's more complex. And mm. what's also true is that what we teach here on personality, for example, so we have a first-year course, Personality and Individual Differences, so I guess that's more or less uh, the biggest investment in personality people have during their bachelor's at least. Um, we need to start with a basis, and th these questionnaires and the Big Five Traits on a basic level, that's what people use. So that's the first mm -hmm. tool you get mm -hmm. uh, to apply in daily life. Um, because if you go to a, a psychologist and, and you have a, a problem, for example, you got a psychosis or something else, then perhaps they will give you a personality questionnaire and, and that's what they will work with. And there's not so much space at this point in time to really think about uh, uh, the, the life story these people had. Whereas I think part of the suffering comes from that. So you had a, I have a psychosis, and a lot of these young people think, well, now my life is over because I cannot live the life that I envisioned for myself. So I will perhaps not find a partner, not have a fulfilling job, which is not true because many of them really have a positive outcome. But that are the things people struggle with in their minds. And that are actually like, uh, that's a whole different level of, uh, of meeting with people. And mm -hmm. I agree with you upon that. So it's nice that you then do a personality assessment and you know, how you score on racism and uh, extraversion. I think that's important yeah. for well, what what kind of worlds uh, help you fulfill your needs and, and these kind of things. But a lot of other questions are at a totally different level, which are also part of your personality. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, life stories, your goals, um, motives. Speaking of um, personality assessment, 
Recently, I listened to a podcast my, myself where the theme was um, personality assessment in the workplace. And there was one example that included um, a person that held a rather technical position in a company and the company got a new management and they used the Myers-Briggs type assessment. And according to the Myers, to the result of the test, he was not really the analytical type that everybody expected him to be, but rather an artsy type. Then he told um, the listeners that actually his colleagues and in the end also himself lost faith in his abilities that he had proven for so many years. Therefore, my question, if personality assessment runs at risk to be the new intelligence testing in a way that intelligence tests have a long history of uh, deliberate misuse and misinterpretation. That's an interesting question. Well, my first answer would be, as a teacher, that the Myers-Briggs uh, has not so much empirical support. So even though uh, I know it's the most popular instrument around uh, to assess personality, and it's especially used a lot in the occupational setting, uh, it's a poor instrument. So they should not do that. So that would be uh, the first answer. Uh, the second answer is, well, if you now use a different instrument to assess personality, then I see this point. However, if you're functioning very well, then what does it matter what kind of score you get, right? So uh, that people then focus so much on the outcome is already very worrisome in itself. Um, okay. If I zoom out, then it's true that depending on your personality, you might have a better fit with your context. Uh, however, I, I'm not, I don't believe that uh, having a group of people with the same personality doing the same job, that that works out very well. Uh, I, I think you need a, a very diverse group of people that, well, to really uh, flourish as a, as, a, as, a, as a company or as a division or however. Um, Yes, personality matters a lot for the kind of jobs we do. So it's true that people with certain personality uh, function much better in specific contexts. And the example I always love to use is uh, for neuroticism, because that's a, a domain I studied a lot. But um, if you're very emotionally stable, then you might be a very good jet fighter, uh, jet fighter pilot or uh, mountain climbers are very... Uh, emotion stable and there it pays off uh, and also someone who is operating you on your heart uh, it's much nicer if they just focus on the operation and are not busy in their minds at the same time with uh, arguments they had with a partner the, the evening before or uh, other things that worry them uh, so you want very stable people there however there's also positive things which are associated with being very neurotic so uh, being very relatively unstable because these people are also much more sensitive to other people's emotions. So if you want someone who is teaching your children or uh, someone who is uh, taking care of customers in a hotel or uh, uh, nurses who, who are treating people in a hospital, you want these people to be sensitive to the needs of the people they work with, uh, patients, or customers. Uh, and there, people who score r relatively higher on the narcissism scale do much better uh, because they're inclined to be sensitive and, and mm. focused on them. So if you put a probably a jet fighter pilot in front of a classroom, this will not function very well because they're, they're not sensitive to the needs of their pupils. So uh, well, if you're a parent, you rather have a, a sensitive teacher for your children. And this is also true for many of the other traits. So uh, 
someone who's very conscientious might be a much better person to organize things in your company and to uh, well, do these kind of things than someone who is very rash and disorderly. However, there might be many other situations in which other people flourish. So people who are unhappy or who get burned out might be at a at the wrong place uh, given their needs and abilities. And some people, well, uh, it, it might help them to find a, a place which fits them much better. Um, but if you're doing very well in, as a programmer uh, and, and you see that you're perhaps more arty, well, perhaps you found ways to uh, to make use of that in your work. And if you don't, th there's also a, a big part of your life which is not at the workplace. And perhaps there you uh, well, mm -hmm. use these states or you fulfill these needs. So let's say someone is very high on openness. So they're very much more interested in new things and abstract stuff and in changes. So one person who's very high on openness might switch partners now and then just to, to have this new input. And other people might switch jobs but keep the same partner. Uh, but they're both showing the same traits. So uh, the way you use these traits in daily life, yeah, you can apply them in various ways. Uh, and also the level of the big five itself is very crude in a way because they cover a bunch of lower order traits on which people can differ. So some people who score high on narcissism can be anxious but not self-conscious and uh, not so sensitive to being sad or depressed. Uh, but very angry, whereas someone else can be totally different. So n not inclined to be angry, but uh, very anxious and, and very self-aware. Uh, but they might have the same neuroticism score. So if you really, really want to make, well, better understand someone, you, you should zoom out a bit and make use of a much richer model. And But that's most of the times not what people want, because it's very intuitive to use a, well, an instrument like the Briggs, Meyer and... Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I thought also because it's super easy to assess. Yeah, people understand. And you can draw totally oversimplified conclusions from it. But yeah. as you already pointed out, even if I score on neuroticism the same as someone else, even if we experience the same environment, we still might react to it differently. Yes, and I also and think there are different ways in which you can be a successful <laughs> programmer, for example. Some people have to talk with customers. Some people have to come up with creative ideas. But if someone's exceptionally creative, they might be very poor uh, uh, mistake checkers. Or uh, so, mm -hmm. even in in this very confined setting, uh, you hope there are people with different inclinations because uh, otherwise, I, I guess your division is doomed. I think what's interesting to listeners more generally is uh, often when people think about personality, so you also touched a bit upon it with your question about questionnaires and, and what's the use of them, is that it seems to be only a score on a on a piece of paper. So how much is this reflected in the outside world? And then uh, studies are interesting which show that, uh, for example, Sam Gosling, which I like a lot, is a guy in the United States who did a couple of interesting studies a year of 10 ago in which he... Uh, let a group of people score uh, living rooms or uh, uh, s sleeping places and uh, uh, cafes to which people like to go. And then he found out that people can have fairly accurate personality assessments even without meeting the person mm -hmm. we are talking about or even uh, having one word of exchange with them. So your personalities are already reflected in the, in the kind of clothing you wear, well, that's obvious, but also in 
where you live, how you live, what kind of stuff you can find there, what kind of places you like to go. So it's not random. So if you like a specific pub in Groningen very much, well, the people who are there actually look like you in certain ways. Uh, uh, we are not sorted in our outside world in, in a non or in a totally random fashion. Mm-hmm. And I find that highly interesting because they're uh, well. Normally, personality traits are defined by using a lot of words based on a, a lot of theory. For example, that the most important individual differences should pop up in natural language because we like to talk about them. So if they are important, there are words for them. And if you then factorize all these words, then eventually you'll find these big traits. And then, hey, we have an overview of personality differences. But if you can also observe them in uh, in different places uh, without using words and without using uh, uh, the individual actually uh, uh, about which we are thinking, then uh, that has significance to me because it means that, uh, well, obviously you show these traits as well in your outside world. So even though I don't believe that these big five traits are really uh, part of, of nature uh, in the way we use them, because they're just well, cognitive constructs to enable us to, to think and talk about them, they're just a, a, a bunch of mechanisms which we group together and then we say, hey, this is neuroticism, threat detection mechanisms, and hey, we have here extraversion mechanisms for positive feelings and social uh, interactions and these kind of things. If we also observe them in well, in our outside world uh, without the people who inhabit them, then that really supports uh, these approaches to me. And I find that well, a really beautiful strategy and I really want to work on them more in the in the future. Given that you mentioned the future received the FENIC grant on your pro- project on the link between neuroticism and specifically what differentiates happy neurotics from unhappy neurotics. Can you tell us more about your plans for this project and um, what you try to, to, to find out? Yeah, well, this actually uh, directly taps into uh, what we will be talking about before, is that uh, many people who score mm-hmm. high on the neuroticism dimension tend to be relatively unhappy. So there's a strong negative correlation between neuroticism and unhappiness. And, well, that's not so surprising, given that you more or less ask a lot of the same questions in different words. Um, However, there are a lot of studies showing uh, that uh, if you... For example, in the Netherlands, Pim Kuiper showed that the top 25% of the neuroticism scale, so that means 25% of the Dutch population, generate more than 80% of all healthcare costs. So this group of people is really costly because they go to... uh, general practitioners a lot, they feel unhappy about their body, for example, or about their health, so they have a lot of strange, unexplained somatic symptoms, headache, uh, back pain, these kind of things. Um, And I thought, well, if we can make them a bit happier, perhaps uh, they suffer less. And in the How Nuts Are the Dead study, I observed that in this 25% of the people who score highest on neuroticism, I know complex story, but it's actually relatively easy, about 10% of this group still reports to be very happy. And then I thought, hey, this is interesting. So there are a group of people who do exceptionally well. Um, so I thought, well, if I can study what they do differently in daily life, this might give uh, well, ideas, but also suggestions for how you can shape your world uh, to give your life meaning and to, uh, to have a pleasurable, pleasurable experience. Um, so what I'm going to do is... Uh, compare the lives of these people to more unhappy neurotics, which what you more or less expect uh, based on the empirical literature. 
and see what they do differently. And I thought, well, uh, what I know from the literature, what's important is how you spend your life. So uh, I would look in diary studies uh, where these people are and what they feel and what they think. And if that differs, so for example, do you spend more time with family and with friends? And is that the stuff that makes you happy? Or uh, uh, do you like your job? That's better because it fits your uh, creativity, for example, or uh, other aspects, and, and you're able to um, make use of them in a in a nice way, and then you feel good about that. Uh, I think one of the major differences must be based on uh, some twin studies I'm aware of. They compared twins who differ in neuroticism, uh, and monozygotic twins who differ in neuroticism probably differ because of experiences because their genetic material is more or less equivalent uh, then it's often in the social domain that they also have differences for example one has a partner the other does not uh, these kind of things so i want to look at the social worlds in which these people live i think your personality acts out socially uh, uh, well, much more prominently than many other uh, areas of life so I want to look at people's uh, family of origin. So how, how is your relationship with your parents and with your siblings? This might be very significant given that roughly half of the people uh, don't have contact with one or more family members. So mm -hmm. that's very common. Um, and, and these are also well mental concepts about uh, uh, how social interactions work, which you gain as a child. So this family of origin is very important for, for how you think about your outside world. Uh, how your relationship is functioning, so that's the second social world, and perhaps you might have children, so you have a, a family of your own. And then we all have friendships, at least most of us. Uh, so this mm -hmm. friendship network system might be very important. Some people have good friends, others don't have so many friends, or no friends at all. Mm -hmm. And loneliness is, of course, a really important factor. Um, we all have a job, or, or at least a, a study, and in this context we meet people a lot and uh, we have all kinds of interactions and we compare ourselves to other people. I think this might be a very important setting, especially because most adults spend most of their awake hours at their job at this point in time uh, rather than at other places. And um, I think your neighborhood might be important. Do you feel safe and, uh, and happy in, in the place you live? Do you have nice contacts with your people who surround you there? Um, and then we have uh, acquaintances, so people who are not really your friends, but who, who you might see a lot. And how do you interact with them? For example, mm -hmm. uh, the postman, I meet her mm -hmm. a couple of days a week, and then we say hi. Or the the person who, who is uh, scanning my groceries when I'm mm -hmm. in, in the supermarket. Uh, there are a lot of people I meet and I might have very short conversations with, uh, well, which might also be very important. They're called weak ties in sociology mm -hmm. and other contexts. Uh, but they still might have a significant influence on how you feel um, so that's a part so I had the diary study and this uh, social network study mm -hmm. and then a third study I intend to do is uh, an interview with uh, 100 people who are very happy and neurotic 100 people who are very unhappy and neurotic and 100 people who are emotionally stable because I want to also compare them to low neurotic people to make sure that it's not only the high neuroticism uh, well, and I do these interviews in part because I think people understand questions or questionnaires very differently. So you can ask follow-up questions. The second main reason is that I don't believe that sitting behind my desk I can come up with everything that is important to explain it. And like I read a lot and I, of course I, I have a PhD focusing on neuroticism, so I spent seven, eight years of my life studying this. But still, uh, you're very much constrained by your own personality and by, by your own experiences 
so, so there might be a lot of explanations I did not even think of, and I think interviews might be very helpful. Mm-hmm. And the third reason, which is equally important, is, uh, well, turns back to what we talked about, that questionnaire items are, are only helpful so far, so perhaps a big difference between happy and unhappy neurotics is how they think about their place in the world, uh, how they give meaning to stuff, uh, how they reason about uh, the culture in which we live, uh, uh, how they think about politics. So it might not even be that there are really objective differences. It might only be, well, how they talk about themselves and how Mm -hmm. they think about their worlds. Uh, And I think interviews are the only way to really get into that. So that are more qualitative differences. And uh, I think we don't use really conversations uh, so much, uh, whereas we should. Because especially things like happiness are very difficult to grasp. Therefore, I also love to study it because everyone immediately knows what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Happiness, that's clear. But then once you you ask me to define it, it becomes already a struggle. Because, of course, I I know some definitions from books, but not everyone agrees with these definitions. And I think it means fundamentally different things to different people. Uh, And also the ingredients differ a lot between people, if only because of your personality, but also because... Our needs and aspirations change when we grow older. Um, uh, only the idea of how many years you have to live if everything goes well uh, has a big influence on what you will do and, and, and what you want in the next uh, weeks and months. Um, so yeah, that's uh, what I intend to do for the for the Feni. And that mm-hmm. will be four happy years of my life. <laughs> and then I, I have to rethink where, where I want to go. Thank you. And thank you for this conversation in which we created some shared meaning. And as you said, that's really important to quali- clarify these this concepts we use and take for granted without thinking much about what's behind them. And I hope that um, we managed to bring some clarity into things like what personality is and what different traits represent and um, how they may be more than what we think uh, of them or what we see at face value. Yeah, I guess on this note, this is a good moment to end the podcast. Um, We are looking forward to insights from Happy Neurotics. Um, And yes, thank you for being on the podcast, Bertus. Well, have a happy day, all of you. (laughs) Thank you. This podcast was a production of MindWise for the Department of Psychology at the University of Groningen.